Hello, welcome to Broadcast to Post. If you work in live production and haven't heard of SIPTI ST2110 at this point, you've likely been living under a rock. Short answer, SIPTI ST2110 is a suite of standards that sends fully uncompressed media over an IP network. Typically, when we talk about sending media signals over IP, there is some level of compression or reduction in quality. The SIPTI2110 has overcome those issues. Well, why isn't everyone in the universe using SIPTI2110? Just like any new technology, rollout takes time. Time for vendors to release products that support it, time for early adopters to test, adopt, and validate that it works, and time for that initial high sticker price to come down as components become more commoditized and vendors smooth out manufacturing. I'm hoping during this session we're going to get to the bottom of where the heck we are in the SIPTI2110 adoption cycle. What are the new products available? What are the products that are not as available or invented yet? What have we learned the last few years deploying SIPTI ST2110 solutions? And has the price tag of SIPTI2110 compliant products finally gotten to a point where it makes sense for small to mid-sized production teams to use it? We're assembling a panel of SIPTI2110 experts to answer this and more. Our panel includes Keith Vidiger from Panasonic, Stephen Rimich from Riedel Communications, Alan Fryer from Ross Video, and myself, Steve Dupay from Keycode Media. Again, thanks for joining us. We're excited to have our panelists here, and uh, let's just dive right into the questions. Uh, this first one will go for Stevie. Um, you know, in the early days of 2110, most adoption was for multi-cam sports, news broadcasts, that type of stuff. Are the markets and applications for 2110 solutions widening today? Um, who, who can use it today? What are the factors driving adoption or maybe the lack of adoption? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely think 2110 is expanding into a lot of new verticals and uses. Obviously, there's still a really wide use case in sports and news and TV, but some of the versatility of 2110, uh, I think, comes from, you know, kind of the format agnostic like aspect of 2110. So, for instance, you know, we're seeing a lot of adoption now in like post houses, streaming platforms where you need to use formats that are a little bit outside of our normal like 42210 bit formats, right? So we've got a lot of RGB 444, some 12-bit kind of leaking in there, stuff that's like not as common in the broadcast world and not as common in, in you know, routers and pass-throughs and stuff like that. That's kind of making its way into the 2110 world because of the fact that 2110 is by default format agnostic. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of uh, what 2110 brings to that and it's expanding of, you know, verticals and things like that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And that, it's pretty cool that you don't have to change cabling or much of your infrastructure to, to accomplish that, correct? Right, exactly. Right. You just have, you have your fiber, you have your 2110 network and, um, and gateways if needed. Um, and then you can kind of change back and forth between formats as, uh, as you need, which is what a lot of post houses are doing, right? So they'll have the pods, they'll have projects that they bring on. Some of those projects will be 422.10 bit. That's totally fine. They'll be 24 frames a second. Some of them will be 23 drop frame and they'll be 444.12 bit and they can just kind of spin up and down as they need to. That's a, that's that's so cool. Um, Alan, um, you know, we're a few years into this uh, 2110 um, deployment. Um, uh, you know, it's been adopted for uh, many years now um, and it's kind of becoming more native, if you will, more available, easier to install. And in some cases, the prices are coming down. What have been some of your big epiphanies over the last few years seeing 2110 installed in the field and within product development at your company? Thanks, Steve. Um, well, certainly it's, um, you know, we've matured in our, our, the technology that we're offering and what's available out there. And as you said, the costs are coming down. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we've really learned through a number of installs is uh, preparation is key, that the customers and the sites that are well-prepared um, really have a greater chance for success. So this means, um, you know, partnering with a really good uh, integrator or installer, uh, learning for yourself what all the the, the, the deep technical workings are. Um, and uh, honestly, you know, a lot of the sites that have, have built their test labs and have been testing uh, equipment and installations for months or even years before their installation. Um, and we find that they really have a greater chance of success than those that sort of come in cold. Um, so that's really kind of the, the biggest thing that I've learned is that this is this is still a very different way and a much more complex uh, method of, of, of building our studios and lots of benefits from it. But, you know, we've really got to train ourselves to 
uh, to be ready for it and be able to su- uh, support and maintain it. That's excellent. Uh, Keith, what what about you? Uh, some epiphanies uh, with 21's uh, uh, availability. I know you guys have some killer products that are now 2110 native. So yeah, thanks. Um, one of the epiphanies, going back to the previous question, is about the kind of people who are adopting 2110. You know, when we first think of 2110, usually it, or it is complexity or, you know, network-based and you need to have a network engineer involved or those kinds of things. And so really much to my Panasonic surprise, a number of folks that houses of worship or in the corporate world that would normally be the domain of simple AV networks that are basically adopting 2110 uh, and robustly so. Uh, there's not just a handful of examples, but more than traditional SDI. Again, you think people don't have a huge infrastructure of people on board that can manage the 2110 network. It's going to be too complex for them. But no, they go in uh, with both feet. And so that's one of the expansions to your first question about the number of people adopting 2110. And the epiphany is that the reason those people are adopting it is because it's simpler than it used to be. Again, if you look up some of the videos, as I joke online, it's super daunting to think about going to 2110. Uh, but the reality, when most people build it with a simple network, without a huge, uh, you know, a paid network engineer on staff, without uh, a huge budget, are able to produce a pretty cool environment that, again, uses all the benefits of 2110. So small-scale places, places, I should say, that have you know a handful of sources or a bunch or, again, a house of worship that uh, is somebody you think is surely going to go SDI, they really appreciate the benefits of 2110, have installed it, and making it work for about a part of a year now and are super happy. That's that's outstanding. I think that kind of drives to an interesting observation that while some of the equipment may not uh, be coming down in price, the cost of adoption is coming down. Is right. Would you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think I think the cost of adoption, I think part of that thing, uh, part of that concept too is the idea that like the costs are becoming known, right? So, you know, in the early stages, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of like, oh, we have to do it this way. And there was an unknown about like what you should use, like what you should use for PTP GMs, what you should use for network infrastructure and like how to build all those pieces, how many pieces there were, what pieces you needed to integrate there. And I think that generally that's becoming a much more known thing and that knowledge is becoming spread a little bit more. So it's a little bit easier to kind of get into that world and to spread that out as opposed to being like, you know, you get into a a system, you have a number in mind and that number starts to grow and grow and grow. And it's a little bit easier to understand like one number to begin with and to go from there as opposed to just like having, you know, 100,000, now it's 200,000, now it's 300,000, so on and so forth. Right. That's a great observation. That kind of leads into the next question, um, and anybody can feel free to jump in on this one. There's a there's a real dilemma that a lot of um, a lot of both broadcasters, um, general purpose users, um, uh, the the remote people are, are, are struggling with is do they do they stay with a, a three gig or move to a twelve gig infrastructure or they do they make that jump to go all IP? Do they do a hybrid, a mix of that? What are your thoughts on on those? Noting particularly that uh, 12 gig has some real issues with cable lengths. Hey, I'll jump in on that. Um, I, I think um, I, I'm a firm believer in like choosing the right term, r- the right tool for the job. Um, so you know, 2110 uh, has a lot of advantages, a lot of um, uh, great places it can be used. Uh, SDI is tried true; it's simple to install. Um, you know, 12 gig SDI is. Um, a simple and economical way to, uh, to to build a facility, and it's also um, something that can be very evolutionary. So if you're if you're working on an install and you've got a large base of SDI already installed, um, you know migrating to 12 gig SDI is it can be a stepping stone. You know you could start looking at 2110 perhaps as as a way to scale out uh, for for larger scale for multi studio and that sort of thing. But um, you know the the hybrid um, approach is is, is certainly a viable one, you know, with, uh, with our, with our Ultrix platform, we, we see a lot of that where we'll have individual studios that are, uh, built around SDI and much of the equipment is what the customers have had for years and they're happy with it. Um, and then they're, uh, built in 2110, um, uh, as a way to, uh, make a broader facility routing solution, getting rid of that large monolithic central router. So, um, I think, I think both, uh, have, have their legs. Um, and one of the things that, that is also interesting is, um, that, uh, 
when we look at uh, like AMWA, which is doing all, all the all the NMOS specifications, they're starting to look now at uh, standards beyond 2110 uh, to be supported in their controllable plane. So being able to manage these um, these these hybrid environments is going to become easier and easier in a, in a, in a more unified manner. That's excellent. You know, that, that, that kind of leads us to the next one. Maybe, Stephen, Steve, if you'd like to take this one, is um, 2110 has been out for a while. Um, most people have a general understanding of it uh, in the various parts, such as, you know, audio, signal timing, uh, ancillary data, et cetera, et cetera. Have there been any significant updates to the standard itself that we should be aware of or um, some trends in the industry that, you, that you'd want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So, um in terms of 2110 itself, there hasn't, or 2110-20 and 30 and 40, there hasn't been like a whole ton of like additions to the standard or modifications to the standard. Uh, PTP has uh, some new standardizations. I think PTP uh, B2.1, um, that it hasn't been super widely adopted in the 2110 world. But um, if you look at what BSF is continually working on releasing with their technical recommendations, you'll notice that like a lot of that has to do with um, with JXS and with RISC and IPMX. So with RISC, obviously that's like, you know, how to send uh, signals over like WAN connections over public IP. And with IPMX, it's like an interoperable um, uh, uh, like st set of standards. And so when you see those things, it kind of gives us like a story of like where we're evolving to and, and how we're kind of expanding the 2110 world and how that's going to like expand into, you know, uh, like uh, sending signals outside of our facility, how we get signals from A to B, uh, you know, uh, TRO7 and TRO8 are all about like JXS, where TRO8 is all about like Essence JXS and TRO7 is all about um uh, like transport stream stuff and getting things from point A to point B. So it kind of paints the story of like where we're kind of going with that. We've, we've, there's a lot of things that we've tackled in, in their inner facility. And now we're kind of moving to like outside the facility and, and making sure that those, those technical recommendations are available. Excellent. Um, is there, is there any other areas that, uh, that are active right now? Uh, I, Alan mentioned, uh, uh, NMOS with AMLA, um, some other things that are going on there. Yes. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so I mean, Emma is active in a number of different areas. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the uh, activity group that's uh, bringing NDI support to NMOS. Um, there's work on going on for MPEG TS, um, as well as um, overall system security um, and system parameterization and control. Um, so really building this out to being a broader API that um, orchestration and control systems can use to to globally talk to um, a broader uh, array of equipment without relying on proprietary APIs for uh, each equipment vendor. I think that that's a really good point to bring out. The orchestration layer is is really critical, and we've seen some of the, the major manufacturers uh, really enhance their existing control platforms to support that. We've, we've seen uh, tremendous work from uh, folks at Imagine uh, on on their Magellan platform, we've got uh, Nevion that's doing some cool stuff. Evert is in is in that game doing doing a lot of uh, system wide control and uh, EBS, of course, with their Cerebrum product um, has has tremendous capabilities. As does probably the most adopted program uh, or platform in the world, um, particularly in Europe, and that's VSM uh, from from Lavo. So I, I, I'm glad you brought that that point up. And NMOS is a critical part of that. Um, Having having each product be able to be characterized and, and utilized is is really important. Um, that kind of takes us to the next part of this: is is there there has to be a a bond uh, a, a strong link between the networking and the the traditional broadcast processing operation kind of stuff, uh, command and control. Um, networking redundancy and reliability all kind of go together. How do you help and 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 Keith, you mentioned some examples earlier. How do how do we get engineers to feel comfortable that their systems are going to be reliable, that they're going to be able to troubleshoot where things are? Can you maybe expand on on some of the things we were talking about before with the the install that you mentioned on on the networking and how the engineers came up to speed on that? Uh, great question. So I'll start off with a scenario uh, in that 
if we think about 2110, quite frequently people will often say, unless you have a redundant 2110 network, then you don't really have a 2110 network. Um, and while an intriguing idea, you found that's certainly not the case. Um, a lot of folks believe that, you know, unless you have redundancy, then surely there's going to be a problem that you will later notice and regret, uh, and redundancy will help you in that situation. But in reality, that's not the case. Um, a properly configured 2110 switch with the amount of data that it's supposed to handle uh, and all that goes with it is a totally robust function system that's going to be hitless uh, and make everybody happy and continues to make everybody happy. Um, but those situations where, again, if you, for example, derive your revenue from being on the air, uh, such as a broadcast or that kind of thing, uh, one of the benefits of a 2110 world certainly is that you can have a fairly low-cost, redundant network in place. Uh, the ability to, for example, if you had a redundant network because your switches and everything that goes with it is software defined for the most part and needs upgrades, uh, a redundant network allows you to upgrade your red network while the blue network uh, can essentially carry the load if necessary. And then if everything goes well in the red, then the blue gets upgraded, uh, that kind of a thing. So there's some benefits to having a redundant network beyond what we normally would think of as, oh, there's going to be a failure for sure. And even if it's just a single frame of missing video, that I need to compensate for or something even worse is going to happen. So number one, that has not proved to be the case with a primary only 2110 network, uh, but certainly the benefits that come from having redundancy uh, and one of the great benefits of 2110 is that it's a low cost concept when it comes to redundancy, certainly compared to the SDI world, things of that nature. Uh, those are pretty cool, but it all comes back to, as we said before, proper planning, uh, knowing what your switch is capable of, knowing what your network can handle in terms of bandwidth, uh, the types of signals you're going to feed down. Uh, you know, if you have the world's best looking 3G 2110 network and everybody says, okay, today's the day we're going to switch to 12G, you might find yourself in a bit of a bottleneck and some flooding. Uh, so again, uh, employing the basic tenets of uh, working in the production world, do your homework, make sure the equipment you have is capable of supporting what you need. Um, probably everyone has been down the path where they hook up a signal uh, in the SDI world and it's great. And then they go and change it to 12G, and somehow that cable doesn't work anymore, uh, simply because it doesn't have the bandwidth to carry 12G. The same basic ideas are true in essentially a switch and all that in terms of data can be conveyed. So, again, doing the homework, making sure you're prepared, uh, usually yields the result you're hoping for, a primary-only network that's great. But again, for those that need it, redundancy really comes in. Excellent. It and and, and uh, just 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 to add on to that, uh, uh, I want to just uh, highlight a point that, that Keith just made there is being prepared. And I mean, uh, you know, a Dash Seven redundant network isn't a magic bullet. You know, I think that's you know we still need to think about facilities as we always have that we need our disaster plans or our disaster recovery, our our, our contingency plans, um, and test them well. Um, you know, one of the advantages of Dash Seven network is that you know it allows these in-place upgrades. That um, you know I can upgrade my my blue network while my red network is active, and vice versa. Um, make sure you test that. Um, we've done a number of installations where that hasn't been well tested, and they, they they bring down the primary network, and suddenly they realize, oh, these six nodes don't actually work properly. So you know, I, I, I harp on this a lot, I know, but 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 test, 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 prepare, 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 and that is really your um, your your key to success with with twenty one ten. That's that's an excellent observation. In fact, that's one that, that everybody should add to their checklist. If you're doing 22-7 uh, redundancy, make sure that you test the 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 both both networks to operate um, in isolation, so that you're you're insured of, of of continuous operation if one of them goes down. That's that's a very good point. Any thoughts on that uh, from your side, Stevie? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like. I agree with all the points that have been previously stated. I think doing your research and developing your network based off of your specific need is an, it is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle when you're deploying 2110. 2022-7 um, is awesome, but um, but like even more so than that, it's like how you're going to develop the network. Um, and Arista and Cisco have like white papers for like deploying networks in in heavy media environments, and that that stuff covers like how do you segment your network? Is it going to be layer two? Is it going to be layer three? How do you implement PTP? In what way do you implement PTP? Um, and so the, I think those resources are really good to kind of know that they're out there and be able to do some of that research on your own before you kind of start to do the testing and 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 wrecking of your own internal system. 
Great, great observation. Um, that leads me to the next question. Um, there's, if we're if we're dealing with a hybrid facility or we're making a transition, um, you know, there's a there's a need for a, a lot of gateways, and just kind of want to get everybody's opinion on: is the number of gateways needed increasing, decreasing, kind of staying static? What are you finding in in actual deployments? And Steve, let's start with you on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I I think. I think a lot of what 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 Riedel's been dealing with a lot right now is a lot of hybrid workflows. Like we deal with a lot of workflows where there there's some pieces of equipment that are 2110, there's some pieces of equipment that aren't. But you know, right at at the point where we are right now, there's almost always going to be some FDIs laying around that you're going to have to integrate in some way, and that's kind of where that hybrid uh, you know scenario works. But a lot of what we've been dealing with right now is like, hey, you want a 512 by 512 half of that 256 by 256 of that may be native 2110 signals but then you've got a truck dock that you want to implement some sdi gateways and then maybe you have you know a, some ingest or 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 you know um like sending satellite stuff that you have in another location that you that's going to be sdi as well so it really just depends i think very commonly we're still sitting in kind of a hybrid situation as people are kind of going to 2110 and i think that also kind of lowers the um it's not quite as scary right because you're not you're not entirely in a 2110 world you can kind of go halfway and then you can slowly kind of move your way over it gives a nice path for upgrading and getting to that full 2110 environment as you kind of move. Excellent. Um, Alan, what do you, what do you think? Uh, you know, a full station going 2110 versus an individual studio going 2110, cost impacts, some of those kinds of things. What's, uh, what, what's your guys' approach? Well, I, we, we really look at what, what does the, 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 the installation already have and how does it make sense to migrate it to where they want to be? Um, so, you know, if they've got a lot of um, investment in SDI gear and they, you know, they want to maintain a bunch of that, then a hybrid approach absolutely makes sense. Um, in many cases, um, staying locally within a studio or within a um, a, a, a small uh, workflow area as SDI also also makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, just getting back to, to gateways, are the number of gateways going up or down? I think it's going down slightly, but a lot of them are becoming hidden um, in, in the sense that you may buy a piece of um, 2110 native equipment that has a 2110 line card in it. Well, that's just a glorified gateway. They're not separate cards. They're they're gateways that are built into the equipment. Um, and what's really important, though, when we're, we're dealing with uh, these gateways are making sure that they work well in your system. And again, I come back to test, test, test. Um, you know, how well do these gateways recover from bad things happening, you know, from switching events, bad formats, you know, bad network streams, timing errors, what happens if your PTP glitches, um, you know, what, how do they behave when there are asynchronous signals on the, uh, on the network? And th these are all problems that, that we've seen happen in, in the deployments that we've worked through. Um, so being able to anticipate them and making sure that the, equipment that you've chosen is actually going to work in these situations um, and you've got the kinks ironed out uh, again is that that's your recipe for success um the last last point i don't I want to make on that is um uh, having diagnostics at these gateways and at these endpoints is a huge huge time saver being able to go into a piece of equipment and see that you know hey my my ptp grandmaster isn't what i expect it to be or i've got a large time offset or i'm not receiving packets or i'm you know being able to get these diagnostic information at the endpoint can really help troubleshooting um, issues uh, as you uh, debug and and maintain the system. Excellent, Keith. Uh, some thoughts from uh, from your your perspective from Panasonic and and your deployments. So a couple things. One, uh, circling way back to a previous question about a you know a person trying to decide between twelve G and twenty one ten. For starters, I don't know that there is any place in the world that's 100% 2110. Uh, there's always some SDI, as was mentioned, uh, and all that, just about here and there. So by definition, the installations hybrid uh, when it comes to 2110 is really just a question of how much. But certainly anybody that we've seen making an investment in either you know Greenfield installation or a big retrofit, usually 2110 at its core you know, is the way they go. It's certainly a switch, uh, 2110 based, and then Again, gateways where needed, that sort of thing. Um, then when it comes to the idea of number of gateways increase, eh, 
certainly in the, most of the installations we've seen, it's a fairly fixed amount. Uh, occasionally, of course, have uh, additional gateways for those situations where you might need, but not a significant number in our experience. But it's also kind of a side note to that, that, you know, any new technology comes out like 2110 a few years ago, there's only so many manufacturers supporting it. Uh, and therefore, you know, wonder if adoption's really going to take hold. Uh, but the more manufacturers jump on the bandwagon, uh, as we're seeing now with the manufacturing of gateways and uh, all due respect to our great friends that read a lot of stuff, you know, with Matrox is coming on board, Magic and uh, other folks in between and all that kind of stuff. Uh, now you kind of really get the sense that 2110 is here to stay because there is enough infrastructure. The uh, economy of scale kicks in by more people making it, by our options becoming available. And so now we have, for the first time, uh, within this past year, in my opinion, uh, the assurance that 2110 is here to stay, that it will be adopted, but in sufficient numbers, uh, that it's not going to be a fly-by-night standard, uh, and that it's not necessarily an exclusive future for everyone, but certainly a big part of the future for everyone. Uh, and as a result, uh, people can rest assured that when they're building their systems, they now have a number of options when it comes to just about everything that's uh, 2110 related, everything from gateways, now switches, and new manufacturers jumping the switch world, uh, and again, finally, covering a little ground here in this answer, uh, the idea that, you know, if you have a conventional SDI-based network, you've got scopes to help troubleshoot issues, uh, things of that nature. Of course, there are now scopes in the 2110 world and things, once again, uh, as Alice was saying, to help you troubleshoot. Uh, if it's all working perfectly at one point in time, doesn't mean it's always going to work perfectly. Uh, just like with any kind of production concept, SDI, 2110, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and so having the ability to test uh, essentially having some kind of analytical tools to help you uh, is a good thing to have. So basically get you out of a jam if a jam were to occur. Uh, and ultimately, when you see this parallel of all the things that we kind of know and love in the SDI world now exist in the 2110 world, uh, making it, like we said before, ultimately easier and more available to most people. You know, if 2110 is only available to the NFL channels or NFL networks and Inglewood and the BBC and uh, Stevie's new hometown and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's fine, but there's not freaking those people. But if it's, again, expanding because of the lower cost of ownership, because of the reliability, the primary only networks, then everybody is able to do it. Uh, and that's ultimately what the whole industry is about, getting everybody on board to allow them to produce what they want in a way that is cost effective um, and democratize the whole process of production. So um, again, a lot said there, but uh, I think uh, the parallels of how SDI came up are certainly... Uh, we're being seen now in the 2110 world, and just as 2110, or I should say, just SDI is essentially part parcel to production. I think 2110 is on its way there too. Excellent, excellent points. Thank you all. Um, let's kind of wrap this up, and then we'll jump into the audience questions by taking a few minutes and identifying some of the the key gaps that you see um, in you know the the development, deployment, um, uh, the, the the field use of the products. Um, and maybe some things that you guys are addressing, uh, how you guys are addressing those problems uh, in, in some of your roadmaps. Um, Alan, let's start with you. And then uh, if, yeah, if you'll just follow on, uh, Keith, and then we'll wrap up with Steve. So I, I really feel that the biggest gap um, is, is, is knowledge. Um, I mean, the information is out there, but being able to, um, you know, train our engineers that have been you know working in a, a traditional baseband uh, infrastructure for years and years to really deeply understand this technology um to you know as, as as stevie pointed out you know cisco and arista have some great white papers on how to design and 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 build build networks you know become very familiar with this understand how these network components work it's really really important um, and just as important is is partnering with um, some good companies to help you design that. You know whether you're uh, doing a full in-house design yourself, then you need a, a, a very strong technical base. Or if you're uh, partnering with uh, with with an integrator, um, an installer to 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 build this for you. Um, ultimately, you you need to really understand this. And at the end of the day, there needs to be somebody who can own this system. Um, so that, you know, when, when you're working through issues, um, you don't, you know, have, oh, it's this piece of problem or it's that problem where you have manufacturers pointing fingers at each other saying, you know, the, 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 the root cause of the issue is this, that ultimately somebody can, you know, look at it and say, no, I can, I can look at this methodically. I understand how the system works and, um, and, and help troubleshoot issues as they come up. And that's going to really help, uh, 
uh, provide a much uh, smoother deployment and ongoing maintenance, um, you know, and, you know, the issues that come up six months after the, the, the install, you know, who takes care of that, right? When, you know, all the manufacturers have gone back to doing their next thing. Um, so again, I just, I just come back to, you know, prepare, 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 test, 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 um, and, and, and educate yourself about how um, this technology works. Excellent. Keith? So great point. And uh, the first thing I would say is a follow or continuation of that. Uh, you know, there's so many great people in the industry that their whole lives have been based around conventional video and SDI and things of that nature. Um, so I would love for there to be a, a Rosetta Stone, if you will, to translate all the great things those uh, learned engineers already know simply and easily into the world of 2110. Because there's so many parallels. Uh, you know, if you uh, wade into the internet and hope to learn 2110 there, you know, it is not always an easy process. But uh, again, there's a lot of things that essentially as a network, or I should say as a video engineer, you bring to the table and may not even realize it, uh, that would certainly help in your deployment of 2110. So first thing I would say to anybody thinking about it, not to be dissuaded by uh, what you might find the internet when it comes to how daunting a 2110 network is to install, you know, and support and keep running. Uh, it's certainly uh, based on our experience, a technology that is here to stay and one that people have been able to relatively easily put into place. Um, and then in terms of if I had like a, a wish list of products that existed, some kind of uh, network monitoring tool uh, that constantly was able to uh, uh, poll all the sources, uh, you know, subscribe to streams, uh, checking uh, data, or I should say packets and all that all along the way, looking for conflicts that they were inadvertently uh, created and things of that nature. Uh, um, so it'd be nice to just have a kind of a tool that, like orchestration, uh, is overseeing the entire infrastructure uh, and looking for issues that, as you said before, or as Alan just mentioned, may not have existed six months ago, but someone's done something and now has created a problem. They can essentially warn you for, uh, uh, for the issues that about uh, will change is made that may seem simple enough, uh, but might have a big impact. So something along those lines uh, would be nice. But ultimately, again, uh, getting people to feel comfortable making the change or certainly augmenting the 2110 world with, uh, or the SDI world that they already have with the 2110 world. Great, great points. Uh, Stevie? Man, you guys, your guys' uh, answers were so poignant. I was just going to say that there's not enough, like, I, I haven't seen a lot of 2110, like, video monitors on the market yet. And that was going to be that. But, no, um, I think, um, I, I do agree, though. I think I think from a knowledge standpoint, there, there's definitely a gap. And, and I think that there's some companies that are trying to do some work to, to bridge some of that. Uh, for instance, like, Arisa does have now, they've just recently released their, um, they have a, they have basically like their version of ACE, uh, which is uh, like a training course, but specifically tailored towards like media professionals in the twenty in like in a twenty one ten environment. So it covers multicast, where like a traditional like ACE level one course wouldn't. It covers you know PTP a little bit. It covers some of the stuff from you know a normal ACE course or a CCNA course, but it adds a lot of that kind of stuff to it. So like if if anyone was was trying to kind of get out and and learn more about that in a more like 2110 environment where multicast is, you know, really imperative. PTP is very imperative. I would definitely say, uh, look at, look at those kind of resources. So, yeah. Excellent. And well, it, uh, just, just one more point. sorry. I wanted to add on is that, um, looking to a number of the organizations like Simpty and Ames and so on, they're all, uh, working, uh, uh, you know, Simpty has a, a very robust, uh, training curriculum that, uh, has a lot of resources there that you can take use of. Ames has been building up, uh, an education library for a couple of years now. Um, so those are great resources that, you know, you could tap into and, 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 and help build that knowledge level. Excellent. Um, let's, uh, let's just jump right into some of these, uh, questions from our audience. Uh, some of these are right on target of what we've just been discussing. Um, we might want to explore them a little bit further. Um, we have a question here from Q3 Media um, on how have you been able to ensure AV Seek remains correct downstream of production? Um, that is uh, separate video and audio processing paths. Uh, Alan, do you want to take that one? Well, I mean, this is this is one of the promises of 2110, right? We 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 use PTP on our networks um, to provide constant timestamps, uh, and all of the media is also timestamped. So um, in in the, the, the simple cases, those those timestamps are going to align those streams, and um, it, it all works really really quite well. Um, you know where where you have to start um, uh, 
getting a little bit more complicated is when you start having the longer AV delays that are sort of more in the realm of what we thought of as AV sync errors in the past where you have, you know, you know, hundreds of milliseconds of delay. And, you know, in many respects, that comes to managing it in, in many of the ways that we have in the past by, by um, you know, inserting delay lines and, and, and so on into our, our audio typically to uh, to, to realign. But uh, in, in, the, in the base um, 2110, they that's already been considered and uh, uh, PTP, uh, when, when it's all properly working, is great. Excellent. Um, question here from Melting Upwards. Uh, if we're already deploying NDDI, what indications are you seeing for a move to 2110? I think this is this is one maybe uh, Keith, if you'd like to take this one, I, I think that's a that's a real tough question because people already have um, IP based solutions integrated or they're 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 starting down that path. Why would they want to to look at twenty one ten? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages there? Uh, yeah, again, great question. Um, certainly, we can think of there as being similarities between twenty one ten and NDI, uh, but we would quickly find the differences when it comes to just to simply if your um, production had a need for quality. Um, NDI, convenience is born out of the fact that it is compressed. Uh, and, you know, the amount of compression, depending on the sources that you have, you know, the kind of content you're trying to produce and how many stages it goes through in your production process uh, might not hold up as much as you would like with that compression that comes with NDI. Um, so again, NDI, great standard. Again, that compression makes things super easy. Uh, there's a lot of great things in NDI that make it essentially plug and play for a lot of folks. Um, but again, primarily when we've seen folks make the decision to go 2110 as opposed to NDI, it's usually based on the quality and the delay that comes with that compression and decompression uh, through the various parts of your system. So if you're comfortable with the quality that you currently have with NDI, if you uh, don't have an issue with the delay that comes with it as part of that compression decompression. You know there may not be a dramatic uh, need to make the jump, uh, which is be quite considerable in terms of cost compared to NDI to go to twenty one ten. So if everything is working great now, then I would say you know keep that NDI network going unless of course you've got other need. You know number of NDI sources keeps growing and things of that nature, and the network might not be capable of handling everything. But for the most part, I would say the need for higher quality because 2110 is uncompressed uh, in almost all cases and that there's almost no uh, latency to be found uh, would be the reasons that most people have chosen to go 2110. Uh, and in many cases, like I said, there's very few exclusive networks in the world these days. So um, just about every place we've seen while adopting 2110, majority of the broadcast has some SDI and likewise has some NDI. Um, so I think that's one of the things that's be common for just about everybody some combination of everything, although generally speaking, 2110 would be the lion's share, and SDI and NDI would be relatively small in the grand scheme of things. It's not like there's a third of each uh, in any of the situations that we've seen at Panasonic. Excellent. Um, there's kind of a follow-on to that. Um, can you can you mix NDI and uh, uh, Symptom 2110 on the same network? So there's some complications with doing that, and that's a CD or anybody can uh, answer that one. I mean, um... I, I think from a cost perspective, you'll find that that mixing them on the like exact same networks and exact same infrastructure could be quite cost prohibitive. Um, like network infrastructure for twenty one ten is going to be a little more expensive um, per port, per twenty five gig port, per hundred gig port. And so, what you might find is that uh, while the networks might be converged in some sense, you like it might be cost prohibitive to put a bunch of NDI gear on. A, you know, a big 25 by 100 gig, you know, network. So that that would probably be the the main thing. I mean, um, you know, generally uh, data center level switches like the Aristos, like the NVIDIAs, like this, like the Nexus series are all going to be completely non-blocking. So you're not really going to run into any like issues in terms of like, oh, this switch can't handle it. This network infrastructure can't handle it. If you built a network out for 2110, it'll definitely be able to handle it. Yeah, but... What you might find is that it's a little expensive to also expand your NDI network onto that same infrastructure. You might want to hang something off of the edge of that for your NDI network, as opposed to integrating it directly. I, I know there's uh, there are some uh, switch providers that uh, uh, some down market switch providers that are kind of getting into that game. I heard a lot of uh, splash about, uh, for example, in the Netgear at uh, okay. at an mm -hmm. IBC. Some thoughts along those lines. 
Yeah, I mean the 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 forty two fifty line and the forty three hundred and the forty three fifty line are are extremely cost effective switches for what's um, what's available, uh, and and that's exactly what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to break into that market. They're trying to create a cost effective switch. Uh, we've seen people deploy, you know, very heavy PTP environments on those same switches while also doing NDI and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think that definitely, like, that's definitely an avenue that would that would work really well um, in that kind of environment. And, and one of the things that, um, like, particularly with the Netgear series, is that um, that they're they're actually um, a vendor that is decided that we're going to address NDI as a market and they've they've done testing and this is much the same as we saw from you know Cisco and Arista in particular back in the early days of 2110 that they you know they had hardware that was capable but it wasn't until you really have that investment in addressing the the media entertainment space um and you know coming up with those solutions and what are the best practices and what are the software features we may need to add to this this network gear to make it work really well uh in these environments and and, and netgear in particular um has has started to address that for ndi great another question here from bruce devlin um says uh how much training should the end user have and does any end user and i, I love this one does any end user really understand ptp that's a uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Be brave, guys. Yeah. So, so the, the the quick answer to the first question is you can never have enough training. Um, it, this this is you know constantly learning um, and, and, and become better at your craft. I think that that's that's the key. Um, and as far as PTP, I think that you know you can get to a knowledge level of uh, where you understand most of how it works, but um, you know there's there's still an analog domain to timing that. Uh, uh, you know, very few people really understand. Any other thoughts, Steve? Um, I, I think, I think generally, yes. Like, there's, there's no, too, there's not too much training that you could possibly get. I would continually keep learning. Uh, like, go, go to trade shows, go to different things, like go to seminars, learn all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a limit to what an end user might need to understand about the network infrastructure and stuff like that. They might not need to know how, exactly how PTP works to route signals around in a network, but they might. It might be helpful for an end user to maybe understand that, um, you know, like by the way, this is a network-based thing as opposed to like an SDI, like point-to-point -point kind of connection that you make. So, okay. Um, I got another one here from uh, Daner. Um, it's uh, uh, considering upgrades needed and the break-even point without UHD requirements. Uh, three gig becomes or remains a good option against twelve gig equipment, um, uh, and it works as well and is as cost-effective as twenty-one ten. Um, and would you do you agree, uh, Keith? Do you want to take that one? Let's have the uh, read one more time on that. <laughs> it, it, his, his his point is is that considering upgrades needed and the break even points um, without UHD uh, requirements, three gig remains a good option against twelve gig equipment or twenty one ten. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, sure. That was kind of targeted towards the cost effectiveness. Does it does it really make sense to jump into the twenty one ten domain um, or stay with three gig? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question, ultimately, and uh, I think Alan brought it up uh, very nicely before. You know, the desire to go to any standard, whether it be 12 GSDI, even though you might already be 3 GSDI, or to go to 2110, you know, it's entirely based on your production goals. Um, you know, if, it, if it's upgrading for the sake of upgrading, then yeah, that's sort of a, a rare instance. But again, if you're in a position because your existing infrastructure is getting old, long in the tooth, and you need to replace it. You know, that's where you would look into essentially a uh, 2110 world and all the things that might go with it. You know, the longer cable runs, the less cost of infrastructure. You know, 3G, uh, certainly uh, in a big router, if you had a huge facility, you know, like a 512 by 512 3G router, that's still going to be enormously expensive. Uh, and 2110 would, you know, with all cases in our experience at Panasonic, be less expensive uh, than replacing a giant router. Yeah, but it's a relatively small installation, uh, you know, in a 64 by 64 router, well, then you're probably in a position where, again, may not be cost effective or worth your while, worth say, to make the jump to 2110. Uh, but if there's other things that go with it, uh, again, for example, if you're somebody that does a lot of 
embedding of audio and de-embedding and you don't like the fact that it all happens outboard of your router, uh, you might prefer the fact that 2110, it's all stream-based. You don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, again, if your facility is already plumbed with all the SDI that's more than capable of handling your 3G signals, uh, and there's no point just ripping all that cabling out of your walls, absolutely, there's not a compelling argument you could say to go to 2110. But again, if you were building a ground-up facility, if there was a huge infrastructure in place, things along those lines, those are the reasons people, people I should say, would typically go to 2110. Uh, so again, it ultimately depends on your production goals. Yep. Certainly if 3G is how you're always going to be, um, then that's a cool thing. But Stevie said, you know, people like the future-proof nature of 2110. If at some point 3G is no longer good for you, two years from now, five years from now, upgrading to 2110 now, while well, you've got the budget to do it, for example, uh, might be the way to go. So lots of good reasons, but ultimately always comes back to like any technology, does it support your production goals? Uh, if 2110 is the answer, then great, go for it. If your production goals, as you think might be now and forever 3G, then yeah, why bother making the investment? So always support your production goals is the rule. Excellent. I got another question here from Alejandro Diaz. Um, it says, uh, anybody have any experiences using 2110 for audio only streams instead of Dante? And this is one that, that comes up quite often now. Um, what are we going to do with the uh, with the audio situation? Um, uh, because we have so many larger facilities that are, are have a separate audio system, but we're seeing a convergence with the engineering staff where they've got to be conversant in both. And having that one pane of glass to control everything or one approach uh, seems to be really important. Alan, do uh, you want to take that one? Sure. Well, I mean... Uh, um, at its core, the the audio portion of SMPTE twenty one ten is is essentially AS sixty seven. It's AS sixty seven with with a few constraints. Um, so th that technology has been around for for a number of years and um, lots of successful deployments uh, with it. Um, so certainly, if um, you know twenty one ten as a whole is kind of on a facility's roadmap, then doing all of the audio in AS sixty seven and twenty one ten makes a lot of sense. And um, you know. Uh, there, there are numerous other uh, affiliations for the AS67, you know, Ravenna, um, even Livewire Plus um, supports AS67. So the, the, this audio infrastructure can all um, uh, tie in quite nicely. And then th that gives you that easy portability of moving, um, you know, between audio production and video production. Um, you know, one of the major broadcasters here in Canada um, does, does uh, um, you know, uh, a number of different uh, TV sites across the country, as well as um, you know, dozens of radio stations, and they've gone twenty one ten a sixty seven across the board, um, so that they can have that um, transparent um, link from the the radio side to the the, the TV side. So it's uh, uh, it, it it works. It works well, um, and uh, it gives you that consistent overall uh, control layer that you can oversee everything. Okay. I got another fun one here um, for Francois. He says, do you think IPMX might replace 2110? Steve, do you want to touch that one? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, like I think I, I think a lot of what IPMX is is trying to do is is create interoperability within a lot of different vendors. Um, so um, there's a lot to it. Obviously, there's like a compression aspect. There's a there's a networking aspect. There's a timing aspect, and all that kind of stuff. So, I think what we're probably going to see, and this was very common, like at, at IBC we saw this, at NAB we saw this. We had a lot of people come up to us and ask, like, "Hey, are you guys IPMX complacent? Yeah. And can you can you are you guys compatible with IPMX?" And so I think what we're going to see a lot of is people having products that are IPMX like capable in the sense that they're interoperable and they they follow the same set of rules and all that kind of stuff so it's i think it, it's it's not necessarily like a different format i think it's gonna it's playing off of as67 it's playing off of 2110 it's just gonna be you know a set of constraints that make sure that everything kind of plays nice that's my understanding so excellent um any thoughts from you alan or keith uh i think i mean it's 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 kind of a I'll call it the gateway drug. It's 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 a way to you can get into a twenty one style infrastructure, um, and and I mean they're targeting it more at the pro AV, um, sure. an easier point of entry, um, but but playing by the same rules, um, so that, 
uh, you know, as you may grow into a full-fledged 2110 infrastructure, you've, you, you, you've already learned how it works and there's, there's, there's a degree of interoperability um, at the networking control layer. Excellent. Got one last one. Um, and this is a free-for-all. Um, as a guesstimate, what percentage of facilities still need to upgrade to 2110? What do you think, Keith? <laughs> wow, talk about a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Well, one, we'll call it a very bold answer, would be all of them. Because at some point, all facilities will eventually go through some kind of an upgrade. You know, the equipment that uh, any given TV station has now, or production company, or studio, or whatever, is at some point need to go and be replaced. Um, and you know, depending on how far in the future that is, you know, what is that replacement going to look like? Uh, the trend thus far is that when people replace an entire network or facility, uh, that sort of thing, then 2110 tends to be the choice. Um, so, uh, we could make the argument that again, just by anybody who eventually goes through that break, which is everybody ultimately, uh, will go the 2110 route, uh, uh, not entirely prophetic to think that every single person out there uh, is going to adopt all the benefits of 2110 over the benefits of staying SDI. Uh, but the one thing we do know is that everybody is going to essentially upgrade what they've currently got, uh, lest you go out of business or have no need to uh, keep on the air, so to speak. Uh, so if we simply follow the trends, then the majority of those would be 2110 as we go into the future. And as we said before, the cost of 2110 goes down and simplicity gets easier uh, or the uh, knowledge required to put it in place gets easier. So I see it as uh, a, not an if, but when somebody does an upgrade and what makes the most sense for them at that time. But probably 2110 certainly is the smart money, I suppose, right now in terms of majority. Again, not everybody, uh, but a lot of the folks uh, more and more with time will probably go to 2110. Excellent. Well, we are out of all time today. Um, we, we burned the whole time here. Um, I want to thank Keith, Stephen, Stevie and uh, Alan for joining us today. Also, a big thanks to our partner sponsors, Panasonic, Riedel, and Ross Video. If you found this to be of value, please like and subscribe Key Code Media on your social channels. And if you have any upcoming infrastructure upgrades, hit that contact button, and uh, uh, our rapid response team will get the conversation moving with you. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks for watching Broadcast to Post. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes. Follow Keycode Media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to receive news on additional AV, broadcast, and post-production technology content. See you next time, folks.